0: Hey, everybody, this is Ricky Bird, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken.
1: Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes, and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside.
2: The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicki wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's
0: long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon.
1: So DJ, you know, I'm often asked, and Wheezy, you might want to know about this because, um, well, I know you have somebody that you love, but everybody always asks me who cuts my hair, who does my hair, because I haven't changed my hair since 1985. But um, no, because I have a very distinct style and cut that is not for everybody, but, but it is pretty cool it's pretty great right it's pretty great and others go in the and it's a really cool cut and um I started I, I asked for a recommendation when I first moved out to LA, Kathleen Wilhoite, a fabulous actress and singer. You know Kathleen, she's fantastic. I love her. And um, I I loved her hair and I said, Who does your hair? I'm I'm moving out here and oh my god, to leave my hairdresser in New York. I was I was traumatized because I'm one of those people, I'm like a loyal person. Like if, if I go to a doctor and I like that doctor, you're my do- you're my gyno for life. Yep. You are my dermatologist for life. You know, you are my yeah. So that I was going to have to leave my hairdresser and so before I even came out here for good, I when I was just visiting, I was like, "Okay, I need a hairdresser. I love your hair." Kathleen sent me to Cindy Wright at Quaff Salon in Studio City, and I was like a nervous wreck to let somebody I don't know touch my ha- oh my, I mean my hair. it it really is like my thing it's like my you know with the feather I mean it's my calling card and I was a nervous well I loved what she did well it's 12 years later nobody touches my hair but Cindy Mm -hmm. and um, I just I can't tell you enough I've sent more people to Cindy, and every person just falls in love with her. No matter what kind of hair you've got, no matter what you got going on, no matter what style, you don't have to want the funk like I do. You can do anything. She's just the best. So I just wanted to give her a plug because I adore her, and I think the world should be better coiffed. So to be better coiffed, check out Cindy Wright, Coiff Salon, Studio City.
3: Welcome to Vicky Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicky's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write. And the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicky.
1: Hey Wheezy, DJ, how are you guys doing tonight? Excellent. How are you doing?
3: Pretty good.
1: You know, I'm doing okay. I I I'm doing better than okay. I've had I've had a couple of not more than I've had more than a couple I've had a bunch of people do some really lovely and extraordinary things for me this week You're welcome <laughs> And you are one of them. And as a matter of fact, that's the first thing I wanted to talk about was I wanted to introduce you guys properly because I don't always do that. Um, But everybody, I want you to meet Louise Palenka, who goes by Wheezy.
4: My name is Louise Palenker. I know, but but I'm from New
1: York. And so I say pizza, I say pizza, and I say water, and I say Palenka, but it's Palenker. Yes, it's it Planker. Yes, and it is. If you don't have a Bronx accent, <laughs> and our guest tonight has a Bronx accent, but that's a whole other story. We'll get to that. But anyway, so Louise mm-hmm. Weezy um, is the producer of the Road Taken. Um, she ca- she started out at Premiere. She help create premier radio network and she has her own fabulous podcast called journals out loud um for teenagers and she gives advice and she's really good and she also teaches stand-up comedy to kids she's she's amazing and uh, and she also shoots video at women who write she's she does everything she does everything this woman and she has this incredible studio fantastic and dj Markison who is our sound engineer um hi is also a computer wizard set up my website, um, does all the computer stuff and it, it can basically troubleshoot anything. So if you need any, I don't
3: think setting up a website requires a wizard anymore. No, really. Well, I, I mean, I, that might I'll be, think ju- that's like a great,
1: I haven't put <laughs> up my, 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 my latest to, uh, broadcast because I'm too scared of inching things around. Yeah, so
4: don't you know. please DJ. Don't, <laughs> don't undermine your skills. <laughs> we, you know, we
1: bow, we, <laughs> we bow. bow, we bow. <laughs> so anyway, so the, That's who's here with me, and so okay. So, what I wanted to talk about um, up top tonight is is grace, because um, I had incredible examples this week of grace and lack of grace, and kind of stunning how they contradicted. In the on the plus column, um, George Bendel Egloff, who is a fantastic composer and and a renowned composer and does movie scores and television scores out of the kindness of his heart and great generosity I I didn't know George personally although I think he actually played in my club back in the old days at, at the Rock and Roll Cafe, I think his band witnessed, because he was a friend of my friend Damon. Anyway, we needed somebody to edit the show, and George just volunteered to do it. So I went to his house this week, and masterfully he sat and he did all this stuff, and then he's a perfectionist, so he just kept tweaking, and the show sounds fabulous, um, it, yeah, amazing. So that, that was an act of grace, I think, when somebody just volunteers to do something To get nothing in return. He's a very impressive human being. And likewise, yesterday, for women who write, Wheezy, you step up, you're you're shooting. Linda Apsey shooting amazing photographs. Elle's welcoming everybody in. My friend Emmy gets up and she does the Facebook Live thing. And, you know, through the grace of everybody else's kindness, and then Penny. Cleans oh my, my house. Oh my god, Penny. Cleans my mops the floors. Penny does is all of this so that I can go and 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 breathe air of Ryan Gosling and and possibly give him my book so that he could be lenny in my film and i didn't get to do that but i did get to breathe his air and and take in his essence and boy talk about, about great. he
4: breathed some of your air
1: how about and that he, and he did that and he made eye contact with me i was in the second row because another woman who write person had a seat saved for me there it's like a grace yeah, i think it the was place. very graceful
4: of you to share your air with ryan gosling <laughs>
1: So, examples of grace, grace, grace. An example of lack of grace is somebody that I used to date sent me a Happy New Year email, and in it he said, you are the hottest 60-year-old woman on the planet. Wow. wow. Now I'm sorry. It <laughs> almost sounds like a uh, Donald Trump compliment. You know, uh, yeah, now, Sad. Right? Now, we say... We, somebody else was commenting about backhanded there's, compliments. I was
3: going to say, there's a word for that. Uh, yeah. Right? For a the, yeah, backhanded, backhanded compliment. compliment.
1: Yeah. And I was just looking at like the difference between actions that come from grace and actions that don't. And I know for myself, I wasn't always clear on that line when I was an at, an active addict, and it wasn't until I got into recovery, and I really started looking and examining my behavior, and taking an inventory of my behavior, that I started to take this daily inventory to try and be a better person, and become really aware of not giving backhanded compliments, not being self-serving, you know, being of service, all of this stuff, but it you know I was in my mid forties when this revelation came to me. How 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 do you guys uh, do? Do you note when people are are taking actions that are that are in grace? Do you appreciate that
4: kind of behavior in people? I think if there's some sort of disclaimer with your sexiness, then that's <laughs> his, that that's his insecurity speaking. I, I don't. I think that if you're secure. Things don't come out that way because that's not your intention. Mm-hmm. So it sometimes guys will say, say something to make you feel a little bit less like you'd be lucky to have him. And there were well,
1: five more in the email that I'm not getting to that were ex- equally
3: bad. Well, back backhanded, backhanded compliments. Uh, compliments are a they're a, a form of manipulation. Right. They're, they're even <sighs> in they're, they're, What's that book? There's a book on like a real famous like guy's guy book about like picking up women and how yeah, to, you, how demean, does,
4: you demean them so that they feel like you're the best. They're, you're, it's they're a major part do. of that book.
3: Is, yeah, is backhanded compliments. How to control a woman without her really knowing, and like she thinks she's getting a compliment, but really you're like putting her in her place, and you'll be able to sleep with her. And, oh, wh- which was right. exactly. I, I think it's called the game. The book. Uh, I and, think. And there was a movie like that, wasn't
1: there? Like a movie based on that, like Will Smith, no. where he's like a, a dating expert, and Kevin James is yeah. like he's
4: trying to teach him how to date or whatever. That's a movie I would have gone out of my way to miss. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I but it sounds right but, but, but I think that that's true but it is a
3: manipulation tactic and Whether also, guys know it or not it's it's trying and to I don't it.
4: even think I do I truly
1: do not believe it's um a conscious thing that this guy does but he oh, does it all I the do. time
4: I think it's a conscious thing
3: I, well I think it's I can I can it yeah can be because how about just saying you look it? hot today yeah, and,
1: and yeah, especially when he knows that's that and actually my age is not a sore topic for me no. i throw it out there i am and i'm 61 by the way motherfucker but you know it it doesn't bother me at all and i don't feel less than because i'm more than that doesn't bother me it bothers me that he makes the point to do that each right. time mm-hmm. and so so the, my sponsor, my, my, my one of my other sponsors in the past used to say to me, it's the yeah, but it's like you give a compliment, but then you qualify it with a but.
4: That's to keep the person off balance. Well, that, it, but maybe. That's a power move.
1: Um, I, I, I think it also serves the person who's delivering it rather than the person who's the receiver of, of the course. compliment. Right. Of course. Okay. So 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 talking through all of that um, kind of brings me to tonight's guest. Um, I first met Ricky Bird about 30 years ago, back in the days when actually we were both in a daze. And I was booking the Rock and Roll Cafe, which is where the George connection comes into, because everything is two degrees of everything, as we've discovered. Um, And Ricky was already a rock star. He was center stage with Joan Jett, you know, doing concerts at stadiums and stuff. Um, He's the original Blackheart lead guitarist. Uh, He played in all the all of those iconic riffs on the Joan Jett videos that we used to watch on MTV. It's all Ricky. Cool. Um, He went on to tour with Roger Daltrey, Ian Hunter, Southside Johnny, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Joe Walsh, Mavis Staples, who just was the Kennedy Center (gasps) Honors. If you saw that, oh my God, she's so cute. Billy Squire, Darlene Love, Ronnie Spector, Brian Wilson, Steve Miller, Graham Nash, Don Felder, Alice Cooper, Bruce Springsteen, Stephen Van Zandt, Mick Taylor. Dion, Elvis Costello, Bonnie Bramlett, Billy Joe Armstrong, Bill Medley, Paul Schaefer, Smokey Robinson, and more. And then two years ago, Ricky got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, there aren't a lot of people that happens to. Talk to Mickey Dolenz. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen a lot. And it, it happens to very few. But more importantly, 29 years ago, 29 years ago, Ricky got sober. And for the past nine years, he's been using music to help others follow in kind, and it's been his life's passion and now his work. He has Ricky Bird's Clean Getaway, which is a foundation he started, which provides concert events, music outreach sessions, and early education and prevention programs to raise awareness about the disease of addiction and to provide resources for those suffering from drug and alcohol addiction. And as a sober woman in recovery, Ricky's plight and his passion are close to my heart. And now we party like it's 1899, <laughs> so um, which is really pathetic. And 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 he's basically like a Borscht Belt Jew at heart, which is very interesting with the whole rock and roll thing. Um, but. He's a rock boy who likes bling and egg creams and I'm thrilled to welcome him to uh, the road taken
0: hey Ricky how you, how you doing Vicky that that was uh, a wonderful introduction <laughs> it was a little it, it was of course, a little my, my, my career took less time than that but you know
1: <laughs> that's that's actually um I, I yeah I, I hear that often so so Ricky um.
0: All right. Let me first. Let me let me clear something up. Okay. So I I toured with. Uh, if, if you see the way I wrote that, because I had to write a bio for for the nonprofit, I toured with um, Joan, obviously, right. from eighty one to ninety three, and then I, um, I I went out with Roger Daltrey, Ian Hunter. Mm-hmm. I did a little thing with John Waite uh, and Southside Johnny, and those are those are the bands that I actually went on the road with, and every in all these years. The great thing that's happened to my career is, you know, I'm not really in a band, you know, so I I get to do these really great events, you know, charity events or, you know, all kinds of things around the country. And I'm usually part of some cool band of, you know, quote unquote, the all star band. And we back up a lot of really great people. So we were doing that at the Rock Hall um, for about five years. And every year we would back up, I don't know, six artists or something. So, that whole other list, I started to make a list of all the people I've played with, you know, I've stood next to on stage. The pi- you,
1: you have to see Ricky's Facebook with his pictures with McCartney and stuff. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it's like was, crazy. Yeah.
0: But even, I mean, you know, even Mavis and, and, mm. and, I mean, I'm going to actually, I've been thinking a lot about, it. first of all, people keep saying to me, dude, you got to start writing down some of these stories. And, and the other thing is, um, I wanted to make a complete – I was going to sit down and start making a complete list by looking at all my pictures. Mm -hmm. All of these people that I grew up listening to that I wound up standing next to on stage playing. Yeah. So like two months ago, I did an event in Manhattan, and um, I got to back up. It was a great backup. Uh, The the band was great, the house band. It was Liberty DeVito and Will Lee from Letterman's Band and uh, Jeff Kazee from – uh, Southside's band and Christine Ullman, this wonderful uh, soul singer and a bunch of people.
1: And by the uh, way, Liberty played on all the original Billy Joel right. stuff. He played with Billy right. for a million years. Yeah, uh,
0: The Asbury Juke Horn. So we were the band, right? So mm-hmm. the, the people we backed up that night was Smokey Robinson, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave mm-hmm. uh, and Kenny Loggins. So in one night I got to play... Um, uh, I got to play uh, Soul Man.
5: Yeah.
0: I got to play uh, Footloose, <laughs> uh, and and like four or five Smokey Robinson songs. So you know, like you mentioned, I'm just like this guy from the Bronx, man. You know, I mean, I'm totally conscious of how blessed I am by this really cool rock and roll career I've had. You know. So all
1: right. So wait. Before we talk too much about the rock and roll career, let let's go back and talk about how all of this came to pass. So there's little Ricky Bird, and, and is is that really your name? You know, I've never even yes, asked you that. Okay. Yes, it is. it it is. So your mother. I'll, you,
0: like, I'll give you a secret. I'll give you a secret though. Yeah. Yeah. So so my so my mom my mom is Jewish. She lives in uh, Delray Beach now because it's the law. Uh, <laughs> I was
1: gonna say. And, yeah.
0: Uh, I got good timing. I got to be honest with you. (laughs) And um, um, my dad was Italian Catholic. Yeah. And uh, we grew up in the Bronx. um, So I'm very, uh, you know, clear about that, the uh, corner candy store and, you know, all those great stories where my grandfather would go in to meet the bookie and I'd sit at the counter having a milkshake, all that great (laughs) Neil Simon stuff.
1: I don't even know if I've ever asked you this because I'm a Bronx girl too. Where in the Bronx did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Highbridge which is right off the block from Yankee Stadium. So, so uh, I'm a you, know, Yankee
1: you know I lived on the Grand Concourse when I was the tiniest and on 161st Street so we were 3 blocks from Yankee Stadium.
0: I just want to say that's where my allergist was.
1: <laughs> and now <laughs> neither of us would go into that neighborhood. Oh, it's very scary there now.
0: And and you know we're the same we're we're about the same age. I yeah. just turned 60. But my grandmother worked on Fordham Road. At a place called Plymouth Shop. Do you remember Plymouth Shop? You know,
1: pl- I do like like remember Plymouth Shop. Yeah, because I used to shop at Alexander's. Do you, Alexander's, you remember Alexander's? Right. Okay, no and, one and, and else the in the gorgeous, world knows what the, the hell we're talking there.
0: about. The gorgeous theater there that was on the Grand Concourse that I saw my first movie in.
1: What what theater?
0: the Ar- the RKO? Um, uh, what was it called?
1: All I remember like is, is the Concourse Plaza. Do you remember the Concourse Plaza? Oh,
0: of course. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, okay. So anyway, so you're a Bronx kid. Okay, so we're Bronx we're, kid. we're a Bronx kids. So so. Okay, so you're a little kid. When do you get a guitar? When When does music happen for you? How does that happen?
0: Okay. Well, did you see? You saw my uh, my speech at the uh, Rock Hall. That well, but it. not
1: everybody did. I was just telling Wheezy and, and DJ before we went on the air about that speech. That it was one of the funniest speeches I ever.
0: I was telling the truth. Okay, so I said, tell,
1: tell us now for everybody. Everybody who missed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech, you get to give it again, Ricky. Go. I,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> And by the way, because since you know how much I love comedy, I spent so much time on that speech.
1: I bet you did it. I bet you Working did it. Working was... on
0: every word, waiting for the laughs, laughs, and I was so excited. I got laughs in it front was... of McCartney, and
1: you were perfect. You were you were really. It was one of the funniest speeches ever. You were perfect. It was a great so, night.
0: So so you know, my family, like all families back in that time, mm-hmm. especially in the Bronx, every Sunday night, what would we be doing? Chinese at eight food.
1: O'clock? Chinese food. Yeah. Oh, Ed Sullivan Show.
0: Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah. By the way, Chinese food was Saturday night. But anyway,
1: no, not for us. Ch- Chinese oh, was, it? okay. was uh, Italian food was was Saturday, night, Friday or yeah. Go ahead.
0: Like Jewish Italian food or no? Italian
1: food? Like we went, to, we ate bagzidi in the in the with the goyim.
0: Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So so you know every Sunday night at Sullivan. You know, mm-hmm. I think Lassie was on before that. And then one night in 1965, I saw the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a few weeks later I saw the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. and I, this is the story I told at the rock hall and I, and the next day, Wait, I wasn't the,
1: that 63?
0: Well, I, but the first time I saw them was like 65. Uh,
1: you're younger than me a little bit. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I was nine years old Okay. and I saw them on, I, I, I love the Beatles, but when I saw the stones, mm. um, and I said this that night, I said, you know, first of all, um, they looked like I felt. Mm. Uh, second of all, the girls were screaming, so I thought that might be a plus. And and the most important factor to the whole thing was Ed Sullivan looked completely horrified. <laughs> <laughs> and and even at that age, I knew that's what I wanted to do: horrify <laughs> adults.
5: <laughs> so
0: so I asked my mother for a guitar, and her boss. Then she worked at a handbag company, and her boss gave her a guitar to give to me, she brought it home and and that guitar is in the rock hall now. Wow. Wow. And that that was it. And I started playing. And you know, everybody not everybody finds out what they do well in life. So there's a lot of distractions in life, but everybody's put here with some sort of talent, whatever it is. Yeah. And I just happened to have stumbled on to something that I could do. So, in other words, I would listen to a song on the radio, on AM radio, yeah. and I would sit down and I'd be able to figure it out in like no time. Uh-huh.
1: Well, just like that, you without taking lessons or anything, you could just. No, you- I took
0: I took like a lesson and a half, and and it's funny because I remember going into this place. This is when we moved to Queens at that point, and I and I, I started taking a lesson. You know, I took a lesson. I said, the second one. I came back and I said, can you teach me? I'm going home by Alvin Lee because Woodstock just came out, and he said, "No, no," and he started to show me like, you know, all this beginners guitar stuff, and right. that was it. I was like, nah, nah I I don't want to do that."
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah. So I taught myself. I taught myself by sitting in a room, you know, putting on vinyl and 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 learning Jimmy Page's guitar solos and scratching records, trying to figure them out. And there you go. Um, now, I've been playing guitar for. 51 years. Oh my god. Oh my
1: Can you read music?
0: Not enough to hurt my playing. <laughs> oh, I love you. What a straight woman <laughs> that was.
1: Um, do you read music?
0: No. You don't. I can't. So so here's the here's the here's the insight. Okay. When I do these events.
1: Right. And you get charts. What happens?
0: We get charts. Yeah, like right. if it's with Willie, if Willie's like the musical director. Uh-huh. I mean, I literally sit home with the charts that he sends me, mm-hmm. and I and I learn the songs. You know that we he sends us the MP3s and stuff. I learn the songs by memory, and I just kind of make notes like chord notes or you know little little. I wouldn't be able to play with Sinatra. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, I, I would hope not because he's dead, Ricky. But um, it is. yeah. Um, Okay, so you so you have to you have to know your 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 musical director to be able to. I mean, has, have you ever been in a position where it's gotten awkward because you couldn't read music? Did it ever matter? No,
0: because you know what you know what it's like in 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 the world when somebody asks you, "Hey, can you do this?" You go, "Yeah,", <laughs> yeah. and then you just do it. It's like, it, it, you know, I, so so depending on who we're playing with, like like for example, at this Rock Hall thing we would do every year. So in one night, it might be. Um, uh, you know one of the it, it might be like Darlene Love let's say okay. and then Sheila E this is like all in one night and right. then maybe Billy Squire you know they, they were the special guests they were getting all you know right. they were like special guests um, some things were harder than others but you just say yeah mm-hmm. and um, I would just go home and I would go through the Ricky thing that I've been going through my whole career which is I go I can't do this. I'm gonna just completely suck. And then, and then at a certain point, I literally go. I hit this this wall where I say to myself, "Okay, baby, you either know this stuff or you don't. So just put the stuff away and go to sleep." And then I'm always good, you know. It's all, it's, it's. I mean, the key to, to playing live is if you don't know something, you take your hands off the guitar.
1: But you know what? I think that's the key to life, Ricky. I think if it's yeah. right, that's what we learn in recovery. It's about letting go. We're going to get to that later. Okay, so so let's go back. So you have a guitar. You teach yourself to play. Mm-hmm. What 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 ha- what's the first band? Where, where, so, where So
0: we moved to Queens. You know, yeah. we, we moved to Flushing, Queens. So I to Flushing, did Flushing, I moved to
1: Queens also? China. By the way, what what school did you go to in Queens? I went to Flushing High School. Okay, I went to Newtown. Uh,
0: and um, uh, you know, so. So I'm this like shy, quiet kid, mm-hmm. and and it's not like today. Like you're in a school, there's like five thousand guitar players. It's like you know there were a half a dozen people, a couple of people played drums. You know, we're all listening to Led Zeppelin and the Stones, and um, you, you start to form cliques, right? So I started to hang out with the musicians, and and all of a sudden you're in a garage. That's the way the term garage band came from, right? So we're playing. We're learning, um, you know, a couple of songs from Tommy and we're learning this and that. And, and then you start playing church dances, uh, you know, little, little, little. We, we were too young to play clubs, so we played church dances and, and like uh, school dances and stuff like that. And that's really where it started. I think the first, the biggest uh, place I played at the beginning was 1973. We played Flushing High School. I'm still friends with all these guys. Uh, we played Flushing High School. You know, we came out '73. We did a humble pie song. We did some Savoy Brown. We did a little Zeppelin. I up, I assume, um, and that was the beginning. You know, and that, and that's that's and that was so '73. So at, at that point already, I was hanging out in the city. I was 16, and so I was uh, I was already hanging out in the city. I was going to a place called Maxis, Kansas City. Hell which, yeah. You know, which Did, was a famous didn't Jerry was that J,
1: was that Jerry Brandt's place, Maxis, Kansas City no, no no, no, no,
0: that was uh Mickey Ruskin's place, okay, uh-huh so so the Reader's digest version of that is it, in the fifties uh, in in the sixties, I think it didn't start till the sixties. he opened the club and he loved he was a patron of the arts he was the raggedy looking mofo you've ever seen, uh-huh yeah, gold tooth to rip sweater, but but he used to let the poets come in and all the painters and he would like. Let them eat on the house, or he would, they would bring him a piece of art to hang on the wall. So that was like the 60s, Maxis, Kansas City. And all of a sudden, the 70s, it became this rock and roll landmark. So I would go in there, I'd be 16, I'd have Foamy Proof, and you'd be standing there, and like David and Angela Bowie would come walking in. Wow. And, Uber, and, and that's really where I made my bones in, in uh, at Maxis, Kansas City. And then I wound up playing there. Yeah so now I go from playing So uh, yeah cover- I was
1: going to say so how did it go from you like hanging out there and being like a patron of the place to playing that how, how did that happen Well it's
0: it's the usual it's the, pro- the the usual usual process so you start in a band and you're playing cover songs Right and you know if you're uh, if you have any ambition you realize just like the Stones did when Andrew Oldham said hey man you got to write originals because they just started out as a blues band Uh-huh and and you start writing, you know, songs and it was kind of the glam era, so we would write kind of it was like the Dolls era and Bowie and right. and, Mata and you start writing songs and you start getting gigs in the city. So we would play the Mercer Art Center, which was badly portrayed in that goofy T V thing.
1: Oh, um I- vinyl? No, what? Vinyl.
0: yeah, yeah, vinyl. It didn't look anything like that.
1: No, vinyl was horrible. But what are you talking
0: about? Well, the Mercer Rock Center was the first scene in the first show of vinyl. Oh, you are talking about vinyl.
1: Oh, 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 yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They
0: were in the Mercer Rock Center, right? But uh, it didn't look anything like that. It no.
1: Was, it was, it, yeah, that, that was all
0: bogus. It was a very lovely, cool, red velvet kind of artsy kind of uh, uh, you know music and art joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we just started playing places like that and, and Max's. And there were, there were a couple other places. I remember playing... Uh, Kenny's, Kenny's Castaways had a, a club up on the Upper East Side and, and that's what you do. So you, you know, you go from one band to another and, and you're just hanging out and it's a big scene. It was a, it was a really great kind of rock and roll subculture in Manhattan in the early seventies.
1: And so were you getting your money for nothing and your chicks for free?
0: I mean, it was a really great musical. Oh, I'm sorry. No,
1: I mean seriously. I mean, so because yeah, I, I want to know, like, did you were you getting all that rock star shit? I mean, I mean, this is before you were a rock star, but were you, was was part of the impetus of it that you were getting drugs, you were getting girls,
0: was all Absolutely. of that going on? No doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but but remember, I was sixteen, seventeen. So the New oh, York you're dolls-
1: still really young. Okay. You oh should. yeah, the yeah, New
0: yeah. York Dolls were the big Maxis Kansas City. Like when they were there, uh-huh. you know, all the girls in fishnets would be there. Right. And then, you know, like if Zeppelin played at the garden three yeah. hours later, they'd wind up at Max's. So that place, because the rock people wound up there, the big music stars, that right. means the girls would show up, right? Right, so that's what right. Be. So we kind of got the leftovers at that age, you know? Yeah. Like, You know what I'm saying?
1: Okay, so now how did, okay, so because we're going to talk about. Uh, addiction and recovery also. So when did the drugs start? How did that start for you?
0: Okay. So, uh, yeah, I was getting high by then. I, I started smoking pot, I guess, at 13. And, Me too. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, that's a very common age. And you know, I do a lot of music groups at treatment centers. And, and I always ask what, you know, what the age is. Always around 13. Some is is younger. that true? Oh, yeah. Very common age. Mm-hmm. So why is that? Uh, you know, that's the age where the hormones start kicking in. We're very inquisitive. Uh, you want to be part of something, you always feel left out, you know, so hey, come on behind the school, let's smoke a joint or have a beer or something so there's that you know there's just that natural thing of becoming a teenager. Mm-hmm. The problem is uh some of us actually have the disease of addiction, yeah which which you don't know until you unleash it. <laughs> you know? So what I'm saying that the natural thing is as teenagers is you you're inquisitive and you're starting to feel your oats and. You know, you start becoming uh, conscious of the things around you and wanting to try things. And sometimes it's it's just as simple as wanting to not be left out of a uh, clique or this and that. And and you try things. But not everybody has the disease of addiction. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's in my family. You know, my dad had it. His father had it. I have an uncle in Nashville that's got like 38 years clean. Wow. And uh, so, you know, if you are a very shy, quiet kid uh, and you have a lot of fear when you were a kid because you're the shy, quiet kid, you know, uh, you take that first hit of pot and your whole body just kind of goes, wow, how long has this been going on? Mm-hmm.
1: Now, were you were you that shy, quiet kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was rock and roll, was that part of rock and roll for you as well? Because that, that was something else that gave you like an entree to your peers? And
0: uh, I think – i think it unleashed a little bit of the beast it made me well i mean this is very cliche but it made me uh less shy mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um it made me give me more confidence it's that false bravado you get when you're a little high mm-hmm. and um i think it just uh it it made me less fearful i mean so i was a skinny little uh shy quiet kid in the bronx i was always very artistic i used to constantly draw or like i said i was playing guitar at at nine years old. Mm -hmm. And and you'd go to school and there's been bullies all along. So I hated going to school. Mm. You know, there was always somebody that was like knocking your books out of your hand or something. Weezy, you're going to
4: have to get
1: Ricky for your show. I would love that. Yeah, you're going to have to do Weezy's Teenage. You'd be great for Weezy's show. Okay, so you get your books knocked out of your hand. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, so uh, um, I think that when I smoked that first joint, I felt the anxiety leave, and therein lies the rub. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I spent the next 18 years trying to find that first high, but because I'm an addict, um, I was always trying, I became an expert at being a chemist, let's Mm. just say. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just start, well, if this makes me feel good, then this will make me feel even better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and before you know it, you're like knee deep in the shit and Mm -hmm. and that's the end of that. And, um, you know, eighteen years later, I was a complete mess.
1: Okay, so now along that way, though, you, mm-hmm. somehow you hook up with Joan. How does that happen? How did that happen?
0: Okay, so, uh, um, well, there's a, there's a, there's one band before that. Okay, um, so you're
1: playing Maxes and you're doing all of those. Yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're then, 16. So, you're 17. You're
0: 18. Yeah. 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 So now, so now. So now there's um, – if you're from New York, you know, there, the, it's not much of a paper anymore. But the Village Voice, right, is where we used to find out who was playing. I mean, every town has one. Right. You know, it was the local paper. It came out free once a week. You'd find out who was playing. And in the back were the ads for looking for a guitar player, looking for this, mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. for that. You know, they, people would sell cars. And, and as a musician at that age, if you were looking for a band, that's what you would do. Right. And um, I saw a band was from Boston. Uh, was moving to New York. They named the the band was called Susan, mm-hmm. and uh, don't ask me why. I still don't remember. I, I I don't think I ever got a straight answer why it was called Susan. <laughs> but um, <laughs> they came to New York, uh, and my girlfriend at the time, uh, Carol Carol Kay mm-hmm. or Carol Bird, uh, she was friends with Tommy Mottola. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, wow.
1: oh wow! Explain because... who Tommy Mottola is to the folks out well, there. Well,
0: it's a good way to segue into Mariah Carey. But oh, like excellent! That okay, a <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my um, god
1: Don't even get Oh my god No, no, no Let's move on Okay, go ahead uh,
0: So he, he, he found uh, Mariah And he actually married Mariah at mm-hmm. one point But he came down to see us He managed us mm-hmm. Oh, wow And we had a record deal with RCA Wow uh, And we did one record We toured the country It was my first tour Wow And we were actually opening up for Graham Parker and the Rumor Oh, uh, and it movie. was actually, if you're a Grant Parker fan, it's band, huge it was squeezing out the Sparks tour. So, yeah, and that was like yeah. his best record. Absolutely. And, and that was my introduction to rock and roll life, and already I was a maniac. I don't think uh, cocaine hadn't come into it yet, but I had I was, no
1: idea that you had that success before. How old were you when that was going well, on?
0: Well, it was. I mean, we I was in a band. We had a record out. I mean, we had we had like a sort of a radio hit, but I mean, we played all, all across the country. The last mm-hmm. show was at the Academy of Music in Manhattan on 14th street. Uh-huh. And then we broke up. <laughs>
1: what, what year, what, what, how old were you? What year was that?
0: Uh, so let's see. So it was 56, 66, 76. I was 21.
1: So you're like a kid have it. And you're making, you're making money doing what you love. So did you not go to school?
5: I did, you not,
0: I mean,
1: did you not do first, college?
0: No, I didn't do college. I uh-huh. actually, at the end of high school, uh, I just, I mean, we've, we've connected, we've talked about this before. Uh, one of the bands I was in, this band New York Central, one of the things that they did on the weekends, mm-hmm. you know, it was an original band, we played them, we played a lot of the New York uh, clubs. Mm-hmm. But on the weekends, we would go up to the Pines Hotel and we were the rock band. <laughs> so yesterday, say, yesterday Donnie Most
1: performed at Women Who Write and we had this whole Catskill. Did you rem- Did you ever hear of the Charlie Lowe review? Did you know about that in the Catskills? You didn't do like the hotels, did you?
0: No, I, mean, I did the pine. But I mean, I you perform,
1: but you didn't like go as a guest and like watch the no, shows. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Because Donnie Most is from the whole Catskill thing too. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, I okay. Mean,
0: you know, you know, you know that there's a whole other side to me. Like I would have been a stand-up comic in a heartbeat.
1: Oh God. And, and I, not, yes. You're a not total. Not a good com- one.
0: Yeah. A cheap one. <laughs> I would have been like, I just want to, you know, tell goofy jokes. Yeah. But um, so, so I started playing there. Right. So this kind of molded me in a couple of things. So we were in the rock band, you know. We play "Hockey, Tonk Woman" and that stuff, and we played to the teens, right? While the parents were in the big room, right? And, and but after we finished playing, I would go and watch the comics every mm-hmm. night, mm-hmm. and I would become friends with them. So we're talking about Charlie Callis and Malzie Lawrence mm-hmm. and Freddie Roman. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these guys are my heroes, right? Because they, I I just love the timing. You know, I grew up on Jerry Lewis. I love the fact that he worked up there and all these guys. A lot of these.
1: My father introduced Jerry Lewis, by the way, when he was a solo act before before he was with Dean, and he would do the typewriter thing. Remember that typewriter bit? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I love that, and so so I would go watch them, and then we'd watch, then we'd wind up in the coffee shop at three o'clock in the morning, and I would (laughs) sit there with my mouth open listening. (laughs) You know how how kids or or people that grew up on me sit around with me and my rock friends, and (laughs) they sit there going, "Wow, really, you did this." And I would sit there and listen to it. And it was just like Broadway, Danny Rose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and I swear to God, that's that whole thing was the reason I, I could say this honestly. That whole part of my life and and the my love for that stuff
1: mm-hmm.
0: is the reason my speech was so good at the Rock Hall.
1: Ah, nice.
0: Because nice. I I'm in love with that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I love to write. I grew up on, you know, when I was fourteen, thirteen, I was reading. Books by Dorothy Parker and Robert Benchley and, you know, Lenny Bruce's biography. I mean, that's my thing. You know, I love, I mean, I just read Harpo Speaks for the second time.
1: So you're self-educated. You didn't do the college thing. Were nah, you nah. were you a good, decent, horrible student in high school? What was that like? Oh,
0: that was awful. Awful. Oh, no, mm-hmm. let's put it this way. I lived in, in Flushing. I lived right next to the school, mm-hmm. like right next to the school. And I was late every day. <laughs> <laughs> and every single day, I would come into homeroom, and Mister Solomon would look up and say, "Ah, Mister Bird, so glad you decided to join us mm-hmm. this morning." <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I got And you. Then, by that time, I was smoking pot, so right. like it. Was, I, I was the kid that was like on the grounds outside the school, playing my guitar, you know, playing Zeppelin songs with three girls sitting around me and my friends. You know,
1: mm-hmm. I gotcha. got you. Were you were the bad boy. I'm, I, you're you're I the, I'm you, smart, you, you,
0: but I wasn't really interested
1: mm-hmm okay so
0: okay so out, I didn't have to know any of the things they were trying to teach me <laughs> <laughs> but so, you kid, school for god's sakes
1: <laughs> okay so so you have the, the the other band you're you're getting high you have this band you do the tour the Tommy Matola thing the band breaks up and then what happens
0: okay so just a little well so uh so I'm in New York, mm-hmm. right? The band breaks up, I have like no money. I'm, I am be- like a bike messenger at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Uh and um somebody hooks me up with John Waite. He just left the babies, he thought we'd be great together. So mm-hmm. I started writing with him.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Then um Carol worked at a place called Libra Krebs, which is a w- was a famous mm-hmm. music management company. Mm-hmm. They managed like Aerosmith and Def Leppard Mm -hmm. and Ted Nugent and and Humble Pie. Now, Mm -hmm. Humble Pie was like one of my favorite bands. So Mm -hmm. I got to be very good friends with Steve Marriott, which is, you know, one of my favorite vocalists. Mm -hmm. So he was another guy I was writing with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we were playing together and hanging out and, you know, he was getting me into trouble. But it was Steve Marriott, for God's sakes.
1: But you didn't Uh, mention that Carol was your girlfriend now. And so that, yeah, thats no. why this was happening. Because yeah, I I, said, I know that, but everyone out there doesn't necessarily know that. Okay.
0: Yeah, I said I was saying saying that before. So she, yeah. yeah. So so um, so she's working up there mm-hmm. as a publicist, and she calls me one day and she says, "There's this girl Joan Jett that's looking for a t- guitar player, and um, you know you want to meet her." And I said, "Yeah." So I met her, we got along great, and you know we we jammed, and it sounded great. I joined the band. Um, now wasn't there was a,
1: Joan Jett already famous from The Runaways?
0: She she was yeah she was famous from the Runaways, okay. that broke up. Then she started uh, the Blackhearts. There was there's a a great guy named Eric Gamble was the first guitar player,
5: mm-hmm.
0: um, and um, they did uh, I think they did a demo of I Love Rock and Roll in England. Joan did with mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's his name from the Sex Pistols, uh, uh, Jones, the, uh, Steve, Steve Jones. Yeah, and uh, so she came back here, and Eric was leaving. That was the like band. a
1: test. I'm so glad that I. I that that, because I, I was really nerve-wracking okay good
0: so she so she's looking for guitar players so I joined the band they had just started the Isle of rock and roll record mm-hmm. so I went in and you know the combination sounded really good so we wound up doing all the tracks again and and that's that was my beginning on the Isle of rock and roll record and Eric Gamble is actually on a couple he's on Crimson and Clover mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what else but I, I know he's on one or two oh, he's a little drummer boy mm-hmm. But, and and every, you know, and I'm on all that stuff too, but he played the lead on that. And then, uh, so we redid the whole, I love rock and roll record that comes out. So now we're in a, I'm in a rock and roll band, right. And Mm -hmm. we're in a Winnebago and we're playing clubs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it all happened really fast. We do the record in 81. It comes out in 82 and we're playing clubs Mm -hmm. all over the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love rock and roll comes out and it starts to climb the charts mm-hmm. so when you're in the eye of the hurricane it's a really weird thing because you don't know what's going on all you know somebody brings a copy of billboard on the tour on the in the winnebago and they go right jesus it's like 100 uh-huh. it's 85 it's 72 you know and before you know it it's number one and the crowd started to go crazy right and then and then they start booking us bigger things we start opening for people i mean if i listed all the people we've open with it it would take a half an yeah, hour yeah yeah like zz top the who deep purple this wow. that you know
1: yeah crazy Arrowsmith.
0: we did two tours with Aerosmith, um and and now we have a number one record so we go from a uh winnebago to one tour bus uh-huh. uh, and we have two tour buses you know one for us one one for the crew uh-huh. you know now all of a sudden it's starting going to make money okay so i've already got this disease of addiction
5: uh-huh.
0: i'm already well into it but you know, you, you put some money in my pocket; all hell's breaking loose. Hell yeah! Uh, and and here's the other here's the other thing I noticed uh, about my personality is, so you play a gig, right? And let, you know, it could be a club, could be we started playing stadiums or 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 like the concert halls, like uh, Madison Square Garden type places, and people are you got thirty thousand.
1: Okay, wait, people. you got you got to stop for a second. You have to tell us what that is like the first time. You are the headliners, and you mm-hmm. are walking out to play
0: that stadium.
1: I can't even imagine what that tell, – tell me. What is that like?
0: Well, it, it came in – first of all, <coughs> you have to understand, I have, I have no fear of crowds. Like I'll get up and do 20 minutes in front of anybody. Okay. You know, uh, but you know, fear of other stuff in life is another story. But I, for some reason, I have, I'm just a ham, so I have no fear. So that never got to me at all. Um, and, and it happened in increments. You, you have to remember, we spent a year or so playing. Opening
1: up, right, it's being in the opening club. act, yeah. Yeah, and then oh, you're
0: opening yeah. up, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're headlining. And you come out, and, and the one thing that was consistent is um, we always came out to Won't Get Fooled Again for the whole time I was in the band. Huh. And, and you could be, you know, you'd be in the back, you'd be changing, poofing up your hair and all uh-huh. that, huh. you know, squeezing into your leather pants, because <laughs> it was 1983. Right, and um, and then you'd hear the 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 drum solo, you know, and you hear it go back to that that middle bit. Mm-hmm. Of course, I just did the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, <no>. you did. <laughs> uh, uh, you you get it.
1: I, I knew what you were. Talking I, would, about. I would.
0: I knew that that it, it was time to start heading for the stage. Mm-hmm. And, but what about would,
1: the fir- the very first time? To- All right, forget. The headliners. The very first time you're walking onto a stadium stage and you are going to perform. I forget. Ner- I forget I'm not talking nerves. What was the feeling? What, 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 did, what was that like for you? You're, well, you're this what, little kid from the Bronx and th- th- you're about to walk out on a fucking stadium and be a well, rock star. I,
0: I'll tell you one thing. One thing that I learned from being that little skinny, squirny kid from the Bronx mm-hmm. was swagger. <laughs> it was either have swagger or get it, your ass kicked. So I carry that swagger into my, <coughs> excuse me, into my adult life. You know, that swagger, that false bravado, you know, what What do they say in, in in recovery? Act as if, right? Right. So even if you're scared, you can't show a crowd you're scared. So you would just kind of no, swagger I, up on right, stage. Right, but I
1: got that part. I got what you're showing to the world. I'm asking what it felt like inside. What's in your head? What do you feel?
0: Well, feeling? I'm telling you. I'm telling you that at first I was probably frightened that was a long time ago right but at first I was a little frightened mm-hmm. but then you have this adrenaline rush I mean mm-hmm. still to this day and this really shows I'm an addict but even when I'm pl- when, no matter where I'm playing it I could be playing an acoustic room in front of 50 people mm-hmm. you know uh, I could I could be doing your thing out in LA whatever it is I get this I get nauseous for a second <laughs> and, and I feel the blood drain from my head Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden I really love the feeling. Right. Like I get off on that feeling almost unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I hit the stage and I play the first chord, I my brain says, baby, you know how to do this.
1: So really, I, 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 think, I think what you're saying is that it really isn't that different if it's a room full of 50 or if it's a stadium, you get that rush no matter what.
0: Well, I, I do. I can only speak mm-hmm. for myself. The, but the thing is, you also have to remember when you go out on a stage in front of that many people, mm-hmm. you really only can see the first couple of rows because of the lights. So you, you mean Paul
1: be a- McCartney wasn't looking at me when I was in the seventeenth row <laughs> at Shea Stadium? Oh, sure.
0: sure, he was, darling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and so so that's that's my thing. It's like mm-hmm. you know you're conscious of how big the place is because you there's a thing that goes on backstage too. You hear the crowd talking and sh- clapping, waiting for you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty, it's a real tough gig for an addict because your ego is completely getting a like a, a you know the full treatment.
5: Right, right.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like when the cowardly lion gets his nails done. You know, it's <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, so now I'm leading to the problem. Yeah. So you do that. You got people screaming. You got girls showing you their breasts. You got like. People throwing stuff on stage, they mm-hmm. love you, they adore you, mm-hmm. and then you go back to the hotel, and you go back to your room, and it's completely silent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my brain would just completely, it would fry. I got into the habit of pulling into a town, turning the TV on, drawing the shades, uh, and turning the air conditioning on, and, and that's what I would come back to. If I was in there for two days, the TV was on the whole time, because right. I couldn't take the silence.
5: Wow. Wow. In
0: turn, I started to drink more and drug more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there you go one, two three Bob's your uncle
1: <sighs> okay so so now everybody
0: i don't have a clue, but it's that's what it was like for me
1: and so now you're oh, you're you you got sober a long time ago, so now you're still riding the the height of the of the wave here well, What what mm-hmm. makes you get sober what happens what's your bottom
0: um well, I had many i mean. Uh, 1983, we were on the road uh, in Opelika, Alabama, and um, I started. Let's let's put it this way: I went through my Richard Pryor period. <laughs> <laughs> um, people could Google if they don't get it. Uh, and I, I I literally burnt a hole in my lung, so my oh, lung collapsed on oh, stage. Oh, uh, and and I, I came really like ten minutes away from expiring. Oh. Uh, they actually brought, brought me back. They brought me to the nurse. We were playing. It was a big tour, but. What happens is, if you're opening up for somebody, mm-hmm. uh, so you play you play the stadium with or wherever you play it, and then you stay in town maybe an extra night. You play the theater or the college mm-hmm. on your own. So we played a college. Mm-hmm. It happened right at the end of the set, right before the encore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like I had like a truck on me. Oh my god! And I managed to get through Crimson and Clover. Mm-hmm. They, I said, this doesn't feel good. They took me to the nurse in the college that was on, you know, staff for the concert. Mm-hmm. She said you probably pulled something. She gave me some muscle relaxers. Mm. They they took me back to my room with our road manager, and I went to lay down. And I shot back up. I said, "Dude, I can't breathe. If I would have gone to sleep and taken those muscle relaxers, that would have been it." Oh so, shit! They drove me to the hospital. Uh, so this is '83. They drove me mm. to the hospital. They took an X ray. They said you you have a complete collapse of one lung. Oh
5: Jesus! And
0: and they told me later that my heart was starting to move to the other side because it was (laughs) such a complete collapse. Okay, so you know I had the surgery. Blah blah blah. Um, And uh, you know I remember sitting. (laughs) This is all part and parcel of my freaking story. Um, I remember sitting with the doctor who was the head of the hospital Mm -hmm. as I was checking out, and he said to me. Um, now I never smoked cigarettes. Mm-hmm. This is something to learn out there. Uh, but I smoked pot like oh. from the minute I woke up.
5: Right, me too.
0: Um, I was the guy with the ashtray by the side of the bed. That mm-hmm. the first thing you did was, you know, smoke mm-hmm. a roach. Mm-hmm. He said that I had the beginnings of emphysema and I couldn't smoke pot anymore. Ooh. Now I didn't smoke cigarettes, so you, you know, mm-hmm. you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "I said to him Okay, ready for this? They love this when I do tell this story at the treatment centers.'" I say, um, what about cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, wait. Wait, there's a punchline. Yeah. And, and the head of the hospital, now it's 1983. He looks at me and he goes, in moderation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Are you kidding?
0: And I said, I said, he'll come to judge. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so I came back to New York. <laughs> and um, I had to, uh, because I was, I, I, I was nowhere near getting clean. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how to live clean. Mm-hmm. I I started to take a lot of pills. I got people. To, I got the you know the classic rock guy going to three different doctors, which anybody could do now, but back then it was a little tougher. Right. And I I got heavily addicted to you know Percodan and Valiums Uh-oh. and stuff. So so I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm taking pills. I'm not smoking pot, so I'm mm-hmm. taking pills. Yeah. Then I start having a beer. Then after I have a beer, I have two beers you know, in the course of a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. then I started smoking pot <laughs> uh... and then I started doing blow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so from 83 to 87, uh, when I got clean, that was my world. And because of this thing that I had, mm-hmm. I would get these like stabbing pains, like at the site of where they put the tube in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was always grabbing my chest, you know, but it didn't stop me. It, it just kept rocking and rolling. <laughs> um, and as the last, four five years were like really brutal. I mean, it's all stereotype classic mm-hmm. disappearing for a day and, mm-hmm. you know, just,
1: okay. So do- tell us, tell us the bottom thing. that got you to get clean.
0: Well, I just remember, uh, I was, a, Oh, did I mention I was 128 pounds? Oh my God.
1: I would kill to be 128 pounds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I looked really great too. <laughs> That's the key. Um, I did fit into those leather pants, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so, so like, it's like it's at the end. I'm doing everything, man. I'm like, I'm doing everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, one night I remember looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. My nose was bleeding. Mm-hmm. My heart was beating out of my chest. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just getting over bronchitis, by the way.
1: I hear. You're not smoking again, are you?
0: No. no. I, I, and yeah. I said I never smoked. No, I meant pot. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, that would be... Yeah, no. Um, Critical. Uh, so um, I look in the mirror. My nose is bleeding. My heart's beating out of my chest. I'm 128 pounds. I'm sweating. I'm drunk. Uh, I'm trying to figure out like what medicine cabinet pills I could take to come down. Mm-hmm. And um, about a month before that, uh, this is the part of the script where we go back in time for a month.
5: Yeah.
0: Uh, we went to a wedding. Uh, and we were sitting at a table and, and I swear to God, I'm telling you the story I tell at these treatment centers. Yeah.
5: Um,
0: we sit next. So, so when, 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 when somebody like me would go to a, a wedding, like the first thing I had to do was <clears throat> have a drink or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I couldn't socialize. Um, and, uh, so I go to the bar, I have a drink, I sit down. And I'm sitting next to a girl I used to use with, uh, and I say to her <coughs> my two favorite words at the time,
5: mm-hmm.
0: you holding? Yeah. And she said, No, no. I I I started going to these twelve step groups and I'm and I swear to God, before the sentence was finished, I went, Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I my my I sort of scanned like a like like you know mm-hmm. uh, Schwarzenegger around the room, like, you know, Terminator, like looking for somebody else that looked like they were high. <laughs> but I, she must have planted a seed. So a month later, we're back to the standing in front of the mirror and I literally picked up the phone. And I called this girl, Jill, and I said to her, she laughed about this. I said, Jill, I'm coming in.
5: Wow.
0: <laughs> Bye. And she said, can you wait until, uh, can you hold off till tomorrow? There's a four o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. meeting uptown. I said, she took me to that, and, um, and there you go. I've been clean ever since, September 25th, 1987.
1: Wow. Okay, so now it sounds like you didn't have, like, that big dramatic one. Th- it was just, like, this buildup of just horror
0: that was just well. Building. There were twenty horror shows where mm-hmm. I should have died. Right, right. You know. Okay, I so
1: mean, so we're we're getting to the end here, but I want to, I want to hear about this foundation that you started about Ricky Bird's Clean Getaway and what you're trying to do here. Okay. Because so, and, and we're going to play your song, by the way. Um,
0: good. Um, so this is the important stuff. So uh, about eight years ago, I started to get involved with um, recovery kind of uh, benefits. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a treatment center up in. Uh, Boston called Right Turn, and my friend Woody Geesman owns it. Woody used to be in a band called the Del Fuego's, mm-hmm. which was a big band in the 80s. You know, they had a couple of hits. Um, so Simon Kirk from Bad Company called me and said, I'm doing a benefit for Right Turn. Would you like to be in the band? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did it the first year. I loved it. I loved the people coming over afterwards and saying, Wow, that's so cool that you're clean. That's such a good role model and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of those things. The last Blackheart record that I played on, if you look on the back cover, um, I'm wearing uh, a little medallion. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, I would get a couple of letters from kids. You know, oh. it was letters back then. Mm-hmm. You know. And saying, "Man, I, I'm that's so great that you're clean and this and that." So back to the Boston thing. So the next year and the next year after that, I actually was the, the musical director for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had Alice Cooper and Chad Smith from the Chili peppers It was great. Mm-hmm. So I got the bug, you know. Um, and then w- one thing led to another. I started doing. Um, I started. I formed a little thing with uh, two other guys. One friend of mine, Richie Super, mm-hmm. who's a famous songwriter. We used to use together. He's clean at 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And we started to do things in Florida, these recovery shows. Loving it. Love it. I love the response from the people. Mm-hmm. I just love the whole vibe. Uh, and then I, I sort of went to, I started to write recovery based songs. So, like, you know, make no mistake, they're, they're rock and roll, souls. It's still Ricky Bird. It's still dirty, stinky. I
1: love your album. I love well, your that album. Was,
0: that was my regular record. That's Lifer. Right. That, but that
1: doesn't that have broken on it?
0: No, it doesn't have broken on. Oh, no, okay. No. A, right. That's a straight up rock and roll record. Okay. Love it. But this recovery stuff is mm-hmm. going to be just like that, only the lyrics are about addiction, recovery, mm-hmm. hope, and inspiration. It's nothing corny. It's like all, it's the songs that I play to these kids uh, when I do these recovery music groups at treatment centers, you know, stonesy kind of stuff, all cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So I started writing these songs. And then I said, okay, what am I going to do with these songs? So I, I kind of, I, 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 put myself out there and I talked to these people at a rec- uh, detox called Sunrise. Mm-hmm. And they're in New Jersey, they're in Atlanta. And I said, can I do groups here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, so for two years, I'm speeding this up. For two years, I was doing um, four music groups a week. Mm-hmm. And what, what they would do is when I would come in, they wanted to see how it worked. So as I, you know, at the end of my group, so I would tell my story and I would play songs. And I'd talk a little rock and roll. They love the fact that a rock guy came in and did this. And mm-hmm. they would pass around these little uh, – what are those called when they want to know what people think?
1: Um, opinion um, cards or – Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and the response was overwhelming. Um, and I, after I finish each one of these groups, I say to them, that's hey – What not um, what they're called. I can't think I, of
1: what they're called. Do you know what they're called, Queezy? Uh,
4: I don't. I didn't know they had a name. No, you with- know when they give you – when you go
1: to see a movie and, and they ask right. your feedback – no, nah, the, there's a name. Anyway,
0: yeah. Uh, so, so at the end of each group, mm-hmm. I say to these kids. Now, all these kids are eighteen to you know, and then there's sixty-year-olds. You know, it's the whole gamut, and it's right. people, right. straight-up alcoholics. There, there are unbelievable amount of young kids between eighteen and twenty-seven that are addicted and dying from opioid pain medication and heroin right now. But mm-hmm. everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of each group, I would say, I'm easy to find. Tell me how you're doing. Find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I wound up getting messages upon messages from these kids saying, man, I got like three months. I got your lyrics up on my refrigerator. I have your guitar pick when I want to use. I put it in my hand. Oh. I'm like, and I, so I'm starting to think like, I think I might have stumbled into something really good here, mm-hmm. you know, and I could be part of the solution. And, you know, I don't think anybody really knows what to do about this epidemic there's Mm -hmm. so much politics and money and greed attached to it Mm -hmm. so my thing is like there were people that specialize in going to washington and maybe someday i'll get into that try to get laws changed pharmaceutical companies all that crap but one at a time i'm trying to change one of these kids direction right i love that ricky Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i can tell you that for the two years that i did these groups at this one place Mm -hmm. We, um, we probably lost about 26 kids. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? I would come in and they'd say, remember that really sweet girl, like Annette that was sitting next to you, you were kidding around with her? Mm-hmm. She didn't stay for her whole treatment. She mm-hmm. left and they found her in a Dunkin' Donuts bathroom with a spike in her arm. Mm-hmm. And this girl was like 19, 20, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, dude, this is my third act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I got, this is what I do now. Mm-hmm. So I started a nonprofit called uh Ricky Bird's Clean Getaway. Mm-hmm. So what is that? We're going to fund the nonprofit which will give me the ability to do kind of like educational awareness. I can go to schools. I could do this thing called the Recovery Troubadour series that I I put together. I just did the first one with uh um uh, Raven, you know, who's also in recovery. Like it's so it's like the Nashville Songwriter Circle, but mm-hmm. it's people in recovery and we play our songs that are positive. Mhm. Well, they could be about heroin too, you know. Like, but but they're recovery-based songs, mm-hmm. and we tell stories. So there's that, and there's, you know, there's, the, we'll go out and do educational things. Uh, uh we'll raise money for nonprofit treatment centers. I, we have a whole. idea. I got a whole. Okay, so t-
1: so so as we're rounding out here, what can I'm people listening out there do to help you?
0: Okay, so here's the deal. Okay. Uh, So because of, here's the common question I got at the end of every single group I lead.
5: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, How can I take this music home? And I kept promising for two years, I'm going to raise the money. I'm going to do a rock and roll recovery record. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I procrastinate, procrastinate. I was getting the nonprofit uh, off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I said, now's the time. So um, what I did was... um, I started a pledge music campaign. Mm-hmm. You have the uh the link you could tell people. I mean, if you go to pledgemusic.com and put my name in Ricky Bird, it'll take to my you know, take you to my uh project. Mm-hmm. So here's what we're doing. I'm raising funds to do a recovery rock and roll slash soul kind of inspirational, cool, sloppy rock and roll record. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take the record I'm going to put it on like uh flash drives and I'm going to give them out to the patients to mm. take home and, and then also we'll sell it properly on iTunes and Amazon to help fund the nonprofit. Right. So that's my mission right now. So it's, it's been going for a month. I think we have like 45% of the goal right now. Mm-hmm. It goes until February 4th. So the deal is this, here's my pitch. If you're in recovery, if you know somebody that's in recovery, if you know somebody that needs recovery, or if you support the recovery lifestyle, or if you—if I have put a smile on your face at any time in your life by the music I've played on—now's the time to come back around to Uncle Ricky and help him help him out. I, go I, eight. There's all these cool like you know you could buy. I'm asking people basically at the basic twenty-five dollars. You know you buy the album in advance. Right, But all these cool perks, you know, I'm offering a signed guitar or, uh, you know, you come hang at the studio or, you know, somebody's got real deep pockets. We'll give them a production credit. And, and that's that's what I'm going to do in the next few months. I'm going to do this cool record and um, give, this, give these kids something to take home with them. And, uh, you know, music is like a bridge back to healing. And um, I really feel in my heart that this is like my thing, you know. I mean, I go out and play all these cool events, too. But this is my thing. This is the thing that I like. This gives me that. You know the rush we were talking about before? Yeah. Well, when I leave the treatment center and they come over to me and like, like some big guy with tats says, dude, you made me cry, man. Hmm. I was, I was going to leave treatment, but I'm going to stick around now. Thank you. Hmm. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. so weird.
1: I think for, for a lot of the, the kids and the, and the people that you're meeting in treatment centers, for them to see that somebody that was playing stadiums and that is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is humble to be sober and to be spreading the message of recovery, I think that's really powerful because well, you, know you are a hero doing it for them well, you for, know
0: whatever the angle is doesn't fabulous. matter yeah yeah and, yeah and and the fact that my rock and roll hall of fame induction will give me access to some really big musicians when i start yeah. getting the non up and i could start mm-hmm. i mean what if i did a recovery troubadour series show and i brought joe walsh with me or something yeah, you know hell yeah i mean i'm just starting so mm-hmm. the mi- first thing to do is this record and you know i just feel that I feel that I found like this is a great third act. Let's have – how's that? I love know? it, Ricky. I yeah. think
1: I, – I definitely think you found your place and, and everything you've done too now is going to empower this to just make it be – yeah, I, I think – Well, and I think
0: everything I've done up to now – like I'm one of these weird like romantic guys like as far as like uh, – I see the mystery in things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I, if, I don't, if I don't want to freak myself out, I sit back and think, wow – what if that whole career I just had was to lead me up to this?
1: Absolutely, that's what I was just yeah. gonna say. Yeah, I think it you know.
0: Is. So, mm-hmm. so the deal is like, you know, my card. We're gonna do this all over the country. My card says, "Have recovery, will travel." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I consider myself a recovery troubadour. That's my. That's what I call myself. Mm-hmm. And and I just love doing it. And I, and I look forward to, uh, you know, like right now, I go to this place called uh, Turning Point, which is a nonprofit treatment facility in uh patterson new jersey so i go there once a month and i do two groups one for the men one for the women and it's like 60 people in one 60 people in another and I, i'm telling you yeah i'll sign autographs or whatever the only thing we can't do is take pictures obviously mm-hmm. right but what if i could do that and like i could give them i was talking to somebody about this the, the head of turning point said what if i gave you a bunch of these flash drives and you say to them uh if you finish your treatment, you're going to get a free CD. Uh,
1: this is just fantastic. It's fantastic. All right, Ricky, listen. It's a drop in gonna, the bucket, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put – it's not a drop in the bucket. It's huge. And I'm going to put the links don't on with huge, the man. show. It's, it's going to be don't on say
0: huge. You're freaking me out.
1: <laughs> I'm going to put the links on, on Facebook and on everything when, when the show uh, come, airs. And so everyone sure. will be able okay. to find it. And I have one last question for you before we go. We ask this every – Every week, um, and I think I know the answer to this. So, if you give a different answer, I might be disappointed. Um, what's your guilty pleasure, Ricky? You have a guilty hmm. pleasure?
0: Okay, so you're asking an addict. So yeah, uh, I don't really attach guilt to pleasure. Good, <laughs> good. That's the that's the first thing. <laughs> but if I had to really think about it,
5: mm-hmm.
0: um, sometimes I like to watch like like mime porn. What? What mime is porn? that? Have what? you ever watched? <laughs> Have you ever watched two people screwing against the wind? No. <laughs> You'll laugh on your way home, ladies and gentlemen.
4: You're making this up.
0: Like it's, it's stop a Google.
4: Thing.
3: It's yeah. Not a
1: thing. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll take that. I thought you were going to say devil dogs. All right. <laughs> Talk
0: about trying to get out of the box, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Huh? Yeah. All right, Ricky. Well, thank you so so much, not just for for doing this, but for what you're doing. Um, Thank you for asking me. Uh, it's my pleasure. And um, it's my pleasure to know you. And I'm really proud of you. Um, yeah,
0: you know, we know each other long. You know me from when I played with Al Jolson. Isn't that right? <laughs>
1: We need that. We need the. We need the uh, yeah. If the
0: Catskills ever start again, I'm there.
1: I gotcha. So Ricky, thank you so much for doing this. I, I I'm so grateful, and I'm so grateful for everything you're doing. And um, uh thanks, darling. And um, I will I will speak to you soon.
0: Hopefully, hopefully, I'll get my cheap seats in heaven.
1: <laughs> no doubt. So Wheezy DJ, um, I'm really proud of my friend Ricky Bird, and um. For me, you know, I'm like my head is spinning right now with everything that he was saying. And and I'm so overwhelmed emotionally by the power of what he's trying to do that for me, the takeaway is service. Mm -hmm. Um, He is somebody that is now devote after being served is now. Well, I don't know that he was being served, but but now clearly his sole purpose is to be of service.
4: And well, I think it's really heroic when you're, when you can be someone who takes a flaw and turns it into a bonus. I love that. I mean, that's like superhero stuff. I think so. So he's extremely self aware. I don't know if that's a recovery thing. I do. Th- I do think it is. But yeah, he's on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I I didn't say this to him on the air, and I'll and I'll I'll say it to him before before this airs, so I can be. But you know, Ricky was kind of for me. I didn't really like Ricky when I first met him. When he was like hotshot shot rock star, big time, I met him at the height of his career. Like they were doing stadiums. I got, I love rock and roll days. Mm. And, um, you know, he would come, he would blow into my little club on Bleecker Street to do it, like a number or two. And he was full of himself, you know, he, they were getting high in the back room. And he was like, he was very unapproachable to me. Ricky and I got f- friendly in sobriety mm. you know and that's when he became this guy that i i became you know started to have like mad love for because there was a human being there there really wasn't a human being there when he was a rock star getting loaded mm-hmm. and and i think what you said about say say it again we because i really liked
4: that but everything taking i flaw, say is so good so which part <laughs> taking the flaw Yeah, and he t- he took a flaw which is maybe a predilection for to become a, an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, he he even spoke about being addicted to the fame and y- you know that, that that those are triggers, you know, that oh, I want more of that and he he gets that about himself but so he took that sort of, you know, kind of little Achilles heel and turned it into a superpower. And the now the phoenix he, rises. Yes, and now he's using it to help other people and he and he's he's he at first used it to become more aware of how he operates, how he works and how he can how he can be a person that people know mm-hmm. rather than just this kind of creature blowing through.
1: Yeah. I love that. How about, how about you, DJ? What, 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 uh, what was it, And you're of like the generation. I mean, I've known you for quite some time and you don't strike me as a, you're young. You're of the, you're of the, at the age where Ricky and I were using like crazy. Uh, you don't strike me as a user abuser kind of person.
3: Well, I wouldn't say abusing, um, but I mean, I'll go out and party sometimes, but yeah. But you're not an abuser. No.
1: But um so how I, how did this resonate? I, had, for I you? had my moments
3: in college. Did you? But I was able to kind of straighten myself out before it really became something. Um but yeah, I I I love hearing it. What he's doing now. It's it's awesome.
1: I mean, did you have role models? Um I don't know because, like, I didn't have sober role models when when I was used. There, I didn't know it. They're, they're, we didn't talk about it in those terms. But is it meaningful? It, 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 we we didn't figure out if you're you're not a millennial. I don't know. We don't know what you're called. Yeah. But but does it mean anything to have these guys that these heroes? I don't know if they were. Your I mean, heroes. I didn't
3: I didn't grow up hearing much about like like recovery. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really. Like now, it's very. Everybody knows about it, and everybody right. knows about the steps and all that, and um, probably knows a lot of people that are in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I didn't really have that growing up, so I, there was never anybody to like. Oh, yeah, he's sober.
1: So d- was there was there a different takeaway for you? Did did you have a takeaway from Ricky?
3: I mean, I just like that it's a thing now, and and he's using the the everything, all his experiences to to do something with it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, no, if it's, I don't know if it's different. I think it's the same takeaway as you guys are having. I think it's amazing what he's doing.
1: Um, cool. Well, we're gonna go out and uh, playing um one of Ricky's songs, one of his recovery songs, that'll oh, be on this CD. Excellent. And. Th- I, am, I love it broken. I love this song. And uh, we're going to go out with that. And I look forward to seeing you guys next Tuesday for another... Uh, well, you know what? I keep saying Tuesday. But Tuesday's when the show drops. But you can listen to it anytime. Because we are a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. So you can have us on Tuesday. You can have us on Wednesday. You can have us on Saturday. Anytime you want. And mine that archive of shows because they're really, really great. Um, Everybody's got something to offer and take away that um, has really been a value. So easy. DJ, how about if we close out tonight's show with Ricky's Broken as a Place?
2: I did to just not feel the pain, like drinking myself slowly down the drain. Anything to fix me quick, but getting high is what made me tear. I couldn't quit. I never thought that I would see the day I'd hit my knees and I would start to pray Suddenly I felt the spark That picked me up and led me from the dark of all the bridges burning Surrender was the only way to win When I let go my wildest dreams were out there waiting I won't go back cause life is on the mend Broken is a place i already been I got here with every wrong turn that I took mistakes I made read like an open book I'm a different man today but I know trouble's just one the place of
1: The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at vickiabelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday.